Chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther. Translated by Theodore Grabner. Chapter 3 Verse 6 Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The Apostle next adduces the example of Abraham, and reviews the testimony of the Scriptures concerning faith. The first passage is taken from Genesis 16.6, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. The Apostle makes the most of this passage. Abraham may have enjoyed a good standing with men for his upright life, but not with God. In the sight of God, Abraham was a condemned sinner. That he was justified before God was not due to his own exertions, but due to his faith. The scriptures expressly state, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Paul places the emphasis upon the two words, Abraham believed. Faith in God constitutes the highest worship, the prime duty, the first obedience, and the foremost sacrifice. Without faith, God forfeits his glory, wisdom, truth, and mercy in us. The first duty of man is to believe in God and to honor him with his faith. Faith is truly the height of wisdom, the right kind of righteousness, the only real religion. This will give us an idea of the excellence of faith. To believe in God as Abraham did is to be right with God because faith honors God. Faith says to God, I believe what you say. When we pay attention to reason, God seems to propose impossible matters in the Christian creed. To reason, it seems absurd that Christ should offer his body and blood in the Lord's Supper, that baptism should be the washing of regeneration, that the dead shall rise, that Christ, the Son of God, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, etc. Reason shouts that all this is preposterous. Are you surprised that reason thinks little of faith? Reason thinks it ludicrous that faith should be the foremost service any person can render unto God. Let your faith supplant reason. Abraham mastered reason by faith in the word of God. Not as though reason ever yields meekly. It put up a fight against the faith of Abraham. Reason protested that it was absurd to think that Sarah, who was ninety years old and barren by nature, should give birth to a son. But faith won the victory and routed reason, that ugly beast and enemy of God. Everyone who by faith slays reason, the world's biggest monster, 
renders God a real service, a better service than the religions of all races and all the drudgery of meritorious monks can render. Men fast pray, watch, suffer. They intend to appease the wrath of God and to deserve God's grace by their exertions. But there is no glory in it for God, because by their exertions these workers pronounce God an unmerciful slave-driver, an unfaithful and angry judge. They despise God, make a liar out of him, snub Christ and all his benefits. In short, they pull God from his throne and perch themselves on it. Faith truly honors God, and because faith honors God, God counts faith for righteousness. Christian righteousness is the confidence of the heart in God through Christ Jesus. Such confidence is accounted righteousness for Christ's sake. Two things make for Christian righteousness, faith in Christ, which is a gift of God, and God's acceptance of this imperfect faith of ours for perfect righteousness. Because of my faith in Christ, God overlooks my distrust, the unwillingness of my spirit, my many other sins. Because the shadow of Christ's wing covers me, I have no fear that God will cover all my sins and take my imperfections for perfect righteousness. God winks at my sins and covers them up. God says, because you believe in my Son, I will forgive your sins, until death shall deliver you from the body of sin. Learn to understand the constitution of your Christian righteousness. Faith is weak, but it means enough to God that he will not lay sin to our charge. He will not punish nor condemn us for it. He will forgive our sins as though they amount to nothing at all. He will do it not because we are worthy of such mercy. He will do it for Jesus' sake, in whom we believe. Paradoxically, a Christian is both right and wrong, holy and profane, an enemy of God and a child of God. These contradictions no person can harmonize who does not understand the true way of salvation. Under the papacy we were told to toil until the feeling of guilt had left us. But the authors of this deranged idea were frequently driven to despair in the hour of death. It would have happened to me if Christ had not mercifully delivered me from this error. We comfort the afflicted sinner in this manner. Brother, you can never be perfect in this life, but you can be holy. He will say, How can I be holy when I feel my sins? I answer, You feel sin, that is a good sign. To realize that one is ill is a step, and a very necessary step toward recovery. But how will I get rid of my sin, he will ask. I answer, See the heavenly physician, Christ, who heals the broken-hearted. Do not consult that quack doctor, reason. Believe in Christ, and your sins will be pardoned. His righteousness will become your righteousness, and your sins will become his sins. On one occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, 
the father loveth you why not because the disciples were pharisees or circumcised or particularly attentive to the law jesus said the father loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that i came out from god it pleased you to know that the father sent me into the world and because you believed it the father loves you on another occasion jesus called his disciples evil and commanded them to ask for forgiveness a christian is beloved of god and a sinner how can these two contradictions be harmonized i am a sinner and deserve god's wrath and punishment and yet the father loves me christ alone can harmonize these contradictions he is the mediator do you now see how faith justifies without works sin lingers in us and god hates sin a transfusion of righteousness therefore becomes vitally necessary this transfusion of righteousness we obtain from christ because we believe in him verse seven know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of abraham this is the main point of paul's argument against the jews the children of abraham are those who believe and not those who are born of abraham's flesh and blood this point paul drives home with all his might because the jews attached saving value to the genealogical fact we are the seed and children of abraham let us begin with abraham and learn how this friend of god was justified and saved not because he left his country his relatives his father's house not because he was circumcised not because he stood ready to sacrifice his own son isaac in whom he had the promise of posterity abraham was justified because he believed paul's argumentation runs like this since this is the unmistakable testimony of holy writ why do you take your stand upon circumcision and the law was not abraham your father of whom you make so much justified and saved without circumcision and the law by faith alone paul therefore concludes they which are of faith the same are the children of abraham abraham was the father of the faithful in order to be a child of the believing abraham you must believe as he did otherwise you are merely the physical offspring of the procreating abraham i e you were conceived and born in sin unto wrath and condemnation ishmael and isaac were both the natural children of abraham by rights ishmael should have enjoyed the prerogatives of the firstborn if physical generation had any special value nevertheless he was left out in the cold while isaac was called this goes to prove that the children of faith are the real children of abraham some find fault with paul for applying the term faith in genesis fifteen six to christ they think paul's use of the term too wide in general they think its meaning should be restricted to the context they claim abraham's faith had no more in it than a belief in the promise of god 
that he should have seed. We reply, faith presupposes the assurance of God's mercy. This assurance takes in the confidence that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Never will the conscience trust in God unless it can be sure of God's mercy and promises in Christ. Now all the promises of God lead back to the first promise concerning Christ. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The faith of the fathers in the Old Testament era, and our faith in the New Testament, are one and the same faith in Christ Jesus, although times and conditions may differ. Peter acknowledged this in the words which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. Acts 15, 10, 11. And Paul writes, And did all drink the spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4 And Christ himself declared, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. John 8.56 The faith of the fathers was directed at the Christ who was to come, while ours rests in the Christ who has come. Time does not change the object of true faith or the Holy Spirit. There has always been, and always will be, one mind, one impression, one faith concerning Christ among true believers, whether they live in times past, now, or in times to come. We too believe in the Christ to come, as the fathers did in the Old Testament, for we look for Christ to come again on the last day to judge the quick and the dead. Verse 7 Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Paul is saying, You know from the example of Abraham and from the plain testimony of the Scriptures that they are the children of Abraham who have faith in Christ regardless of their nationality, regardless of the law, regardless of works, regardless of their parentage. The promise was made unto Abraham Thou shalt be a father of many nations, again, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. To prevent the Jews from misinterpreting the word nations, the scriptures are careful to say, many nations. The true children of Abraham are the believers in Christ from all nations. Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Your boasting does not get you anywhere, says Paul to the Galatians, because the sacred scriptures foresaw and foretold, long before the law was ever given, that the heathen should be justified by the blessed seed of Abraham and not by the law. This promise was made 430 years before the law was given because the law was given so many years after Abraham, it could not abolish the promised blessing. This argument is strong because it is based on the exact factor of time. 
Why should you boast of the law, my Galatians, when the law came four hundred and thirty years after the promise? The false apostles glorified the law and despised the promise made unto Abraham, although it antedated the law by many years. It was after Abraham was accounted righteous because of his faith that the scriptures first make mention of circumcision. The scriptures, says Paul, meant to forestall your infatuation for the righteousness of the law by installing the righteousness of faith before circumcision and the law were ever ordained verse eight preach before the gospel unto abraham saying in thee shall all nations be blessed the jews misconstrue this passage they want the term to bless to mean to praise they want the passage to read, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be praised. But this is a perversion of the words of Holy Writ. With the words Abraham believed, Paul describes a spiritual Abraham, renewed by faith and regenerated by the Holy Ghost, that he should be the spiritual father of many nations. In that way all the Gentiles could be given to him for an inheritance. The scriptures ascribe no righteousness to Abraham except through faith. The scriptures speak of Abraham as he stands before God, a man justified by faith. Because of his faith, God extends to him the promise, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Verse 9 So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The emphasis lies on the words, with faithful Abraham. Paul distinguishes between Abraham and Abraham. There is a working and there is a believing Abraham. With the working Abraham we have nothing to do. Let the Jews glory in the generating Abraham. We glory in the believing Abraham, of whom the scriptures say that he received the blessing of righteousness by faith, not only for himself, but for all who believe as he did. The world was promised to Abraham because he believed. The whole world is blessed if it believes as Abraham believed. The blessing is the promise of the gospel that all nations are to be blessed means that all nations are to hear the gospel all nations are to be declared righteous before god through faith in christ jesus to bless simply means to spread abroad the knowledge of christ's salvation this is the office of the new testament church which distributes the promised blessing by preaching the gospel by administering the sacraments, by comforting the broken-hearted, in short, by dispensing the benefits of Christ. The Jews exhibited a working Abraham. The Pope exhibits a working Christ, or an exemplary Christ. The Pope quotes Christ's saying recorded in John 13:15, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. We do not deny that Christians ought to imitate the example of Christ, but mere imitation will not satisfy God. And bear in mind that Paul is not now discussing the example of Christ, but the salvation of Christ. 
that Abraham submitted to circumcision at the command of God, that he was endowed with excellent virtues, that he obeyed God in all things, was certainly admirable of him. To follow the example of Christ, to love one's neighbor, to do good to them that persecute you, to pray for one's enemies, patiently to bear the ingratitude of those who return evil for good, is certainly praiseworthy. But praiseworthy or not, such virtues do not acquit us before God. It takes more than that to make us righteous before God. We need Christ himself, not his example, to save us. We need a redeeming, not an exemplary Christ, to save us. Paul is here speaking of the redeeming Christ and the believing Abraham, not of the model Christ or the sweating Abraham. The believing Abraham is not to lie buried in the grave. He is to be dusted off and brought out before the world. He is to be praised to the sky for his faith. Heaven and earth ought to know about him and about his faith in Christ. The working Abraham ought to look pretty small next to the believing Abraham. Paul's words contain the implication of contrast. When he quotes scripture to the effect that all nations that share the faith of faithful Abraham are to be blessed, Paul means to imply the contrast that all nations are accursed without faith in Christ. End of chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas, USA.